Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whenever you're listening. This is the Fool's Folly Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fool's Folly Podcast. Uh, as always, we are your fools, Connor Maud. Darren Hill. And we are joined this week by the, the lovely, the delightful, the delectable Lisa Payne. Hello. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> Uh, coincidentally, probably the first person to give Darren and I a professional job. I think. I wondered where that was going. I had <laughs> <laughs> a terrible moment. Well, I just, oh, um, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> this has all been a ruse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you've just been served. <laughs> um, no, I think that's true. I think you probably gave Darren and I, both of us, our first pro- paid job. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Like, it been so different for you, couldn't it? Well, you know, you, d- you get what you can take. Uh, but we're here, we're here, we're here with Lisa. We're in, we're in your house. It's lovely. Thank you so much for looking after us. Because yeah. yeah. we were just saying, it normally is the other way around. We normally ply people with tea and, and not that, and, and this has been the best... Best welcome we've had. Oh, yeah. Not that our other guests aren't very good. Let's just, I must. <laughs> Trudy, 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 Trudy's there just like with a, with a knife jabbing into her hand. She's going in my wow. uh, but, but here we are. Here we are to talk to you about uh, as much or as little and uh, mm-hmm. as you would like. So I suppose kind of like we talk about with everyone is where did it all begin for you? Where did you start with with performing and, and how did you kind of get into all of it? So obviously um, I had some experience of school plays mm-hmm. when I was a, a tiddler, a little nipper. Um, and then I really sort of put it to the back of my mind uh, until I moved to school at a, a really interesting age. I was 12. I just uh, transferred from a different area of the country to where I currently live. And so I had to do my transition to secondary school when other people had already done it. So I joined midway through year seven. And thank goodness my first lesson was drama because I was petrified. This school was very different to the school I'd come from. And um, yeah, the first lesson was drama and we had to do a little exercise in characters you may meet at a bus stop. And I don't know where it came from or why I decided to do this. But I decided that I would play a old lady who was looking for a toy boy. And <laughs> <laughs> actually, that could be my life. <laughs> Come in a dreadful full circle. Um, but what I realised was that by getting people to laugh with me, it seemed to stop them from laughing at me. Mm. And as an outsider, I spoke very differently from everybody. I looked different. I was still very childlike. And I think that drama gave me that little sort of protection. Yeah. Um, and then I never really thought about it as a career because I didn't come from a family where anybody had ever done that. And um, I was about 15 and our drama teacher had gone um, on long-term leave and we had an actor come in to cover her lessons. And she called my parents in one evening and I thought, oh no, what have I done wrong? I was like the bestest girl ever at school. I never did anything naughty. And here's this teacher calling my parents in. But basically she called them in to say, look, I, you know, I really think Lisa might have something. And have you ever thought about her going into a career on stage? And um, 
yeah, never looked back once she'd planted the idea in my head. And I saw that actually acting could be for somebody like me. Um, yeah, just then I, I, I did my GCSEs, did some A-levels, went to university to keep mum and dad happy primarily. But also actually, interestingly, although I didn't enjoy my university years, that course really gave me the grounding for what I do a lot of now. Mm. And then I saved up and went to drama school and launched myself onto the world. Yeah. So what did you do at university? What was your... I did theatre. Yeah. But it was a very... Um, I'd say it was a very experimental course. So right. I was going to university... I thought to learn how to be an actor, to read plays, to do plays, to work on voice and body. And what I ended up doing was a course that was, uh, well, we weren't allowed to call our shows shows, they were happenings. Uh, yes. <laughs> right. And you got extra points right. if you took your clothes off quite a lot. And at that point, I wasn't too keen on doing anything like that. So, um, <laughs> but it was, but what was the, the good thing about that course was it taught me about devising theatre. Because up until that point, I hadn't really realised that, oh, that you could do that. Yeah. And now a lot of my work is devising, devising yeah. for schools or devising for corporates. or And so I am really grateful now looking back that I did that course because it, it did give me this sort of set of skills where I could think, right, what can I do? Can I do to make some work? Oh, mm. I know. How, yeah, yeah, how can I make my work? Yeah. Make your own work. That's how. That's how. Yeah, you do it. because strangely enough, the Royal Shakespeare Company didn't get in touch, <laughs> which we I'm still, quite I still surprised. Have that, I still haven't well, that call either. I think there yet. must be something wrong with the reception down in this area. Yeah, I'm just I'm holding onto my phone, sort of going hello every now and then. I mean, I've been there. <laughs> been We've all been there. Yeah, to school to know. Premises. I did do facilitation training there. <laughs> yeah, you that's did. The, yeah. That's the most I've got to RSC to to the RSC. But so what's happening? What is? <laughs> well, because I, I, I hate to move me. I hate to move me. I'm not Shyamalan, <laughs> and it's not very good. Yeah, I'm worried that it might come back into circulation. Because it was a term I heard a lot at university yeah. as well. Was yeah, happening, I and I like, okay. from my hazy recollection because we are talking over twenty odd years ago now. It seemed to be that if you put on a happening, nothing could be right or wrong. It wasn't a judgment. Um, it wasn't. It was a, a sharing of something, and there were no sort of rules. So you were um, an active participant rather than a passive participant. If you were watching a happening, because you were encouraged to give your feedback after the happening, right. and. So it feels almost very showcasey, very scratchy in that sort of sense. But it was the idea would it be finished bodies yeah. of work rather yeah. than actually works in progress. Yeah, so it was meant to be finished. But I got very told off for saying, "Oh, our show is going to be." I definitely got um, like it's yeah. not a show; it's just a happening. Interesting. Yeah. And then after that, you went to drama school. Yeah, so I took a year out, saved yeah. up a lot of money, and then uh, and then borrowed quite a bit off of my parents. Haven't ever played that um, <laughs> yet, yet, um, just in case they're listening. Um, and then I went to drama school for a year because I felt that I did need the work on my voice. I did need to get my teeth into actually acting in plays as opposed to happenings. Mm. So for me, that was great. You know, it was, um, yeah. you know, my voice has completely changed. If I listen to some recordings of me, 
and not just with age my voice changed because I learned how to use it and where to place it and and I got to grips with things like Chekhov and really into Shakespeare and yeah. Ibsen and modern playwrights and because I hadn't had that sort of um, opportunity when I was younger it was great to to yeah to, to get that was there a particular uh acting practitioner that was taught as gospel or was it a, a no no of... it was really the great thing about that course it was a really nice broad it was only a year but we looked at the greats like brecht and stanislavski and we looked at theater of the absurd and we looked at radio drama so it was just great we had sort of modules where you just got your teeth into something yeah. and and thought, oh, I like that, or I'm not so keen on that. So, so you, you uh, and forgive me if you don't remember ever saying this, but you once said to, I think even, well, I think we were both there, we were doing a, a street theatre scenario mm. together, and you once said, you once said to us that you went away to, you went away to university, and you kind of never really found your place, and then yeah. you did the same with drama school, and you felt the same, yeah. um, and then it was only sort of years later that you finally felt really particularly yeah. comfortable. So, what actually drove you to keep? going was it what was that that actually drove you if you never actually felt particularly that was weird sorry there was a lighting change in real life we've asked yes, the question you have. You <laughs> <laughs> oh no um thank you yeah. comedy weather yes great uh, so dark storm clouds has now gathered over my head um <coughs> no what was it i think <coughs> it was the um well it, maybe it was stupidity uh, but I really felt like I could, there was surely something. Yeah, I, I do remember this conversation with you. I think, yeah, so this all stemmed about because I I was not your typical, um, well, not that there is a typical, I wasn't particularly comfortable in my own skin mm. as, a, as a young woman or older teenager. And I think that lack of confidence showed through. Mm-hmm. And I think that some people used that as a way to tell me what was and what wasn't an actor. So I remember saying to, uh, I worked part-time in an old lady's home when I was just about to go to university. And I remember saying to her, oh, got, you know, I'm going to university, I want to be an actor, but I know it's going to be difficult. And she said to me, oh, don't worry, dear, you don't have to be thin and beautiful to be an actor. <laughs> remember thinking oh uh, well that's not what I meant Uh, but uh, well at least I know and then after I left drama school I went to see an agent and the agent said to me well I don't really know what I'm going to do with you because you're not exactly what I would call um beautiful um and so you're yeah and, and you're not really you're not thin enough for me to really put you forward for those sort of leading young lady parts a not big enough yet to be comedy and I just remember thinking oh I didn't realise that there was a, a form a look mm. that we had to be to be a performer I thought as a performer you can be anything because the world is made up of everybody and everyone and I suppose it was just that belief that well because so not so many people but because you know, I'd felt that I didn't really fit there. I wasn't fitting that mould. I wasn't fitting that mould. I just wanted... I thought, well, I'll just keep going until mm. until the door, all the doors are closed. And um, I find that a lot because I work a lot with young people. 
I find that particularly now in this day and age where there is such a lot of pressure on us to be sort of this media perfect image and and that's not what acting is about no. acting is about connecting with emotions and, and what it is to be human or sometimes not human if you're playing some fantastical creature but there are no limits to what you can do and I think that probably was it I think I thought right well I will just carry on until there is nowhere left to go so was it almost an act of defiance in a way a little bit about what you'd been told as well Possibly, and also the fact that I don't really know how to do anything else. Like, you know, <laughs> I am. It's kind of been a common theme with everyone we've talked yeah, to so like, far. What am I going to do? I don't think I could find my way around an office. I don't think I've got the skills to operate any sort of cash register. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, yeah, and I love it. And I think the passion—if you have a passion for something—that just pushes you on, doesn't it? You know. Does, do you remember? one of the first sort of jobs you did after leaving drama school that was like a, a noticeable one like oh I'm beginning to find my niche or what yeah, I'm good at and yeah. what I like doing it was in um, a devised adapted Shakespeare with a wonderful company called Theatre Nomad who I believe still sometimes operate um, led by a fantastic director Dr Luke Dixon and he really encouraged play and let's try it. And his response to any suggestion was, yeah, let's give it a go. So there was this real um, collaborative experience and I hadn't really had that before. He was the first director that I'd worked with that said, let's just see what, see what happens then if we do that. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Like, throw that into the mix. Why not? And it was such a positive, uplifting experience. I thought, oh, I, you know, I, I like this. And there was a connection with the audience as well. And I really yeah. like that style of theatre where you... It's almost like, like, you know I'm acting and I know you know yeah. I'm acting, but we can be complicit in this together and then I might, like, nip out of it for a bit and just, like, yeah. have a moment where we both recognise that we're part of something that's make believe so yeah that was a great job so did that because it's interesting you say that you like that audience mm. connection because obviously you're also um you're a cabaret performer yeah is, <laughs> where where did that journey begin to going into that direction that was, was that? well again that was sort of creating my own work yeah. so i wanted to write a one initially wanted to write a one woman show um, and um, I was looking for something to write it on and that coincided with my a birthday and for my birthday I usually try and do something that petrifies me and this particular year um, Luke Dixon was curating uh, an international workshop festival and there was a workshop on striptease and he said to me oh Lisa look can you sign up for it just so that we've got somebody doing it because the list isn't too long at the moment. Mm. And I said, I can't, no, I can't. <laughs> like, please don't. I spent my entire university years trying not to strip off in happenings. Please don't let me do this. No, no, no. And then I thought, oh, do you know what? Oh, this will be the birthday thing I do to terrify myself. And I did this workshop and the woman that ran the workshop said, do you know what? You've got a really interesting face to do comedy burlesque. 
And um, I found out a little bit about what comedy burlesque was and its origins and how it was um, satirical and celebratory and it wasn't sort of the beautiful Dita Von Tees peeling of gloves. It was slapstick, really, vaudeville. And so um, my experience of doing that workshop and then finding out a little bit more about traditional British burlesque led me to co-write a play called... um, glimpse of stocking and then I brought in a pianist and co-actor and we toured around the southeast um with this show so yeah and then from doing that show I then started to get people saying oh we saw you in glimpse of stocking could you come and do an act at and I thought oh yeah yeah I can do that and then I'd write this act for them and yeah and again another thing that you were doing yeah yeah it's like another little piece of equipment in my toolbox of how to survive as an actor I do cabaret as well and I do this and I do this yeah do you find that um as someone who does comedic burlesque Mm -hmm. do you find when you perform you sometimes have to uh what am I trying to say fight against preconceived notions of what burlesque is oh absolutely yeah yeah absolutely because there are a lot of people that think the comedic burlesque is striptease and there yeah. can be elements of striptease in it but that is not what defines it yeah. um, and I would say that in most of my acts I still end up wearing more than what you would wear <laughs> on the beach <laughs> thankfully <laughs> thank goodness for big pants um, <laughs> that's the title that's the title let's write that one down <laughs> Actually, they do come in handy for all sorts of situations. Um, keeping kittens alive is another good reason for big pants. <laughs> that's maybe another story. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it is. But I enjoy it when people come to see it yeah. and they leave smiling because it's not what they thought. They've had a good laugh. Yeah. So yeah. So well, I remember one of the first things we did myself and Connor as a double act was mm-hmm. do, we did a sketch for one of your ca- cabaret nights yeah. at, at the Tom Thumb yeah. and I'd never seen any burlesque <laughs> in any guys in live and sort of going into the audience for the second half thinking I don't know what this is going to be like at all <laughs> but just finding it so how funny it could be <laughs> there was no just idea. there was just a joy and everyone was I say in on it I think yeah. everyone knows, you know, they were they were all in on the fun and the gag yeah. of what it was. Yeah. So it was just, uh, it's exactly like, you know, it felt very much like a stand-up. Yes. Yeah. Line-up yeah. is what it felt yeah. like, because it was, you know, generally sort of uh, sta- single performers doing a, a, a routine. Yeah. And it was just the joy and everyone yes. came up together with it yeah. and it was yeah. just lovely. Yeah. 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 It was, it was very, very it's interesting. Fun. I can't remember, I can't remember the performer's name, but there was someone who did a routine to the song... Oh, the boys, 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 boys. Oh, that boys. was Glory Pearl. <laughs> it was and, Glory, and we, yeah. Oh, so hard that to this day, every now and then, we'll just... She had an inflatable dolphin, didn't she? Yes. 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 <laughs> she was a holiday rat. Yeah, holiday right? yeah. yeah. Every now and then, we'll just be sat silently and just go, boys, boys. To this <laughs> day, nearly <laughs> probably, you know, six years, seven yeah. years old, we will still talk about that and still use that as a... <laughs> oh, the things that, the things that stay with you, eh? The things that stick with you. Is there any speaking of things that stick with you? Is there anything out of those, you know, these performances that you've done that really does 
stick with you and has there anything that's been particularly with the the, the burlesque and the comedy burlesque or even just in your own uh, mm. the, the other performances that you've done as well oh. is there one memory where you've gone that's to this day the trouble is is that each time you perform it's such a privilege to, mm. to be doing mm. it that every time feels special for a different reason and they, uh, there's been wonderful moments there's like there's a beautiful comedy cabaret burlesque moment that will stick with me and I do one that involves flinging of rubber gloves (laughs) 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 and um, I performed this one for a British Legion celebration and at the end of it uh, this lovely lady came up to me and uh, she said I I just wanted to say uh, please would it be all right if my husband kept your rubber glove because he hasn't smiled like that for years oh. and uh, <laughs> I just thought I, how can I ask for my rubber glove back <laughs> like when it's brought a, a smile to the face of this 93 year old man <laughs> who's tucked it into the breast pocket of his place <laughs> like a kerchief yeah. and it's <laughs> like a pocket square it's just tucked in there with the fingers dangling over the front yeah <laughs> Um, there's been a, a time when like a, a comedian who's now quite well known um, after my act obviously there's lots of clothes discarded on the stage he apparently ran around with my pants on his head I did have <laughs> pants on underneath by the way uh, <laughs> listeners don't be alarmed um, big ones as that um, but he was <laughs> running around the stage with my pants on his head and I thought ooh I wouldn't have done that if I was you because I also for that particular act had had Ten pairs of Spanx knickers on and a layer of cling film, so I can't imagine that would have oh, been, been too. Warm. Yeah, that would have been unpleasant. <laughs> I think that's where we leave it. But no, I mean, it's it's just I love to see people laughing. I love to see people um, enjoying themselves, and I also like to see people um, not challenged, as in uh, like uncomfortable, mm. but just I like seeing people having thought processes of oh you know I wasn't expecting that or and kind of breaking down those walls yeah, a little bit as well yeah. it's that it's talking about those preconceived notions yeah. that you may have yeah and actually now because some, someone might now approach something like that again in the future yeah going well I'm no I'm probably going to enjoy that yeah because it's not what I think yeah. it is and it's something new yeah. have you ever had anyone have an adverse reaction to 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 something though um, either because you didn't because the thing didn't <laughs> <laughs> conform to its pre their preconceived notions or I did, I did get a letter once after a show I produced um, oh, years and years back I had a letter uh, from a lady it was a burlesque mm-hmm. comedy show uh, and had said on the you know on all the print you know uh, burlesque comedy show eighteen plus and the letter said uh, I was very disappointed in the show there was. Uh, a lot of stripping. Ah. <laughs> so I phoned her. I, I phoned her up and said, "Oh, you know what? What were you expecting?" And it, all of it was comedic striptease. So mm. again, it was all celebratory and fun, and there wasn't any yeah. um, anything on show that could have been like deemed inappropriate or, or such. Vulgar sort of thing. Yeah. or you know whatever you want to call it. And um, she had sort of got got it confused with. Um, cabaret as in glitzy glam high kicking dancers Um, of Las Vegas style 
can can yeah. girls but kind of. I did actually uh, you know because I don't want anyone to be disappointed and I said to her look you know I can't obviously you know you can have your money back for the show if if it wasn't what you wanted but I said why don't you come to a workshop with me come to a burlesque workshop I'll because I teach burlesque yeah. so I said come to a workshop and um, give it a go yourself she never came but um, I would have liked that I would have yeah. liked her to have come yeah. along so she could have seen the thought process behind it but I mean it's yeah it's just to me it's just a part of my job as an actor yeah. it's a character that I can put on or take and take off um, and it just gives me another little income stream yeah so where whereabouts in in all of this did the the sort of participation work come in and all the work you do in schools and for corporations and things? <laughs> so that's definitely not burlesque. <laughs> no, I must. Be... Really <laughs> that is very much yeah, not burlesque. That is very much not that. So um, two different things. Yeah. So actually, that's sort of how I first started making a living as right. an actor because I came out of drama school and at the time. In this area, there weren't, it's not the sort of, it wasn't the, I mean, there were actors and creative people around, but it wasn't the sort of the hub of all that is creatively that it is now. And I thought, well, I wonder if I could perhaps um, start after school drama clubs or if I could like approach people that are already going into schools and see if I could use some of my drama to tackle issues maybe in a different way and I teamed up with um, an organisation called Safe Schools and we basically devised some workshops where the kids took ownership of an issue and they came up with um, what they wanted to say about it and then I'd craft that into like mini plays which they'd do in assemblies and to their peers and then from that we managed to get some funding to do um, some actual um, interactive forum style theatre shows where I could get two other actors in and we would do the research with the kids to find out what it was they wanted to say, how they would like it said and then um, take it into schools and be supported by young people um, in the workshops but have the actors delivering the the difficult bits and um, so yeah that's how that all started really, it was the first bit of acting work that I took on myself. So I guess the other thing I really want to know a lot more about, because, you know, we've all known you for a long time, but kind of since it happened, we haven't really been able to catch you and, and kind of speak to you about it. The whole experience with Hannah and Hannah oh, yeah. and how that came about. Mm. And, and I know we've had this conversation kind of very mm. briefly, I think all of us. So where did that start and, and how okay. did you get involved with that? So Hannah and Hannah, for people that, and Hannah and Hannah in Dreamland, for people don't know, was put on and went on tour last year. I did, yeah. Um... And we managed to see it, which was, you know, uh, one of our greatest pleasures yeah, seeing it at the Theatre Royal, um, yeah. which was which was brilliant as well. Um, so tell us a little bit yeah. about that. Well, that's where I first saw it um, when it was written. I think fifteen years ago. Yeah, it was fifteen, maybe sixteen years ago now. So I had uh, left drama school. I hadn't been out very long, and I went to see it at the Theatre Royal, and I was so impressed by it, by the writing, by the way in which it took a, an issue and presented it to young people but without patronising or trying to teach them anything. It was a beautiful story. So I wrote to the director and just said, ah, I've just left drama school and I'm really, I really loved your piece. Um, I'd love to know if there's anything I might be suitable for. I didn't hear from him until 
a few years ago. <laughs> when <laughs> uh, Pam recommended me to Jan, the producer of Hannah and Hannah, mm-hmm. as someone who might be able to read for the part of Margate Hannah in some read-throughs they were doing. So I met with Jan, yeah. and I met with John, and I said, oh, John, this is great, <laughs> I wrote to you. <laughs> Wrote to you fifteen years ago, uh, and he remembered. He remembered oh, the, wow. you know, remembered the letter, and um, yeah. So f- for me, it was incredible because I was there reading this part yeah. that had stuck with me and had, in some ways, informed my own work with young people in how I pitched it to them. And then, yeah, so then um, we were very lucky to get some funding to continue and to develop the piece. And I was really, yeah, I mean, last year to step on the stage as Margate Hannah um, was just, it was brilliant. I was very, there's a picture of me backstage, I think, at the Marlowe, just after the the opening night of the whole Mm. production. And... uh, I've just got the biggest smile on my face. Oh. I thought it took me 15 flipping years to get in. <laughs> <laughs> it's that determination thing again. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's that. I, just, I just keep going. So, yeah. And, um, I mean, I'm hoping that it will have a life onwards because of the way in which it was received uh, by the young people, particularly when I went in to do the workshops with them and we made films with them and the... Mm. The reaction of the young people to being, to talking about issues that are really important, like mm-hmm. who am I, what's my identity, who are you, yeah. what do you mean to me, and what do I mean to you, and particularly in the current climate that we are in, I think it's really important that we have yeah. these discussions. Yeah. And we had a UKIP counsellor come to one of the performances, and we had a really good debate about the the issues in the play um you know asylum seeking immigration and you know although there were different viewpoints within that discussion what was great is that the discussion was had yeah and it people happened. Yeah. were heard and had a chance to put forward their reasoning yeah. in a yeah and that discussion was full of young people as well so that was great really good that's really nice, and I because I find sometimes with pieces that are, I mean, that are overtly trying to do yeah. something. Yeah. Is I remember I had to I had to see a show in my first year of university, in which the one of the final bits was all the actors stood in a line and they were going in multiple languages like yes to freedom, mm-hmm. yes to opportunity, mm-hmm. and I had a moment where I just thought I'm standing in a university campus. Mm where no one is disagreeing mm. with whatever mm. anyone's saying, and this feels like it's preaching to the quiet. Mm. So it's just, this isn't even really a question, more of an observation, which is, <laughs> it's just really nice that that conversation is mm. with someone who would probably naturally have a, a yeah, different viewpoint, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really mm. lovely to hear. And I think that, the, kind of going off what you're saying, is the the problem is those conversations are, aren't being had on either side no. of that, of that no. spectrum either. Because people just, people we get into a, an echo chamber with each other and we start spouting yeah. all these things that we believe in. But it's, yeah. it's good to challenge, it's good to, to... It's good to hear. And it's good to hear. To mm. listen. Yeah. To, to, to listen to what... Mm. I mean, in any conversation, isn't it? It's like you... If you listen to people rather than just jump in yeah. with what you want to say, then you get so much more out of it. 
And what was I mean? One thing I found, I suppose, scary about Hannah and Hannah was in the in the first half. It's the original. Yeah. So it's when Hannah and Hannah and Dreamland. The yeah. first is the original Hannah and Hannah, isn't it? And mm-hmm. then narratively, is there there's a fifteen year yes, gap, isn't right. there? Yeah. In the second half. And the issues haven't really changed no. much. And no. you're not watching it going, that's odd. We're, no. we're very different now. Is that again? Ah. Yeah. We've, we've messed up a bit, team. My, a, yeah. When I was rehearsing it, one of the things that got me was that, uh, so back in the 90s, it was Kosovan people that needed help. Then it was in the, you know, the 2000 and... 15 when it was set the second half it was Syrian people and one of the things that struck me is what if one day that's us mm. what if one day that's the British people that need help and I often would think in rehearsals if I had to get if my only option was to get myself and my family those I loved out because it was not safe to live here mm. would I do it yes I would I would and it just, for me, it threw up all sorts of really interesting questions, questions to which I don't have answers to, but just questions like, you know, would I, would I throw my house open to someone in need? If I wouldn't, why wouldn't I? What holds me back from doing it? If I would, why would I, you know, would I want someone to do that for me? And it's just, I think these are good questions to ask and to ask our young people as well. Uh, particularly, yeah, our, our young people because they're the you know the ones who are going to be most fe- afflicted. Yeah. Um, n- not saying that we, you know. Well, they're going to they they're um you know they will inherit the yeah. world that we make now. It's it's weird because I, I had this conversation with um with Rachel on tour uh-huh. and we as as facilitators and we find that we're already and this is the thing that we both found really scary was we're already saying to kids we teach mm-hmm. going it's going to be your job to sort it out and we're going we're only in our mid-20s mm-hmm. and we're already beginning to do that yeah <laughs> weird isn't it be, be yeah. going, like we're already passing the buck and going yeah it's yeah. going to be beyond yeah. us yeah. Yeah. actually we <laughs> were we, we were the generation that were told mm. we we're going to be the ones to sort it out and actually it might not even quite be us it no. might be you lot yeah, we're really sorry about leaving you all this yeah. dirge, yeah, but, yeah, but we really need you to wade through this pile of shit to, to really <laughs> to begin to fix it. Um, do you have a process, as a, when you're working on that show, do you have a process as, as an actor, things that you will do every time, or is it kind of just whatever the project To demands? create a character to, a character or to, to create a project? Work with a script? Um, when I'm creating a character, I really, I just like to ask lots of, like, ask lots of questions. Like, I know. And they could be simple questions like, what does she do first thing in the morning? Does she check her mobile phone? Does she meditate? Does yeah. she uh, have to have a cup of tea and a cigarette? It's quite like questioning, finding out as much as I can, filling in the gaps that yeah. the, the script may not, you know, it doesn't necessarily say she gets up, she has a cup of coffee and sits in the garden listening to birdsong, but I need to find those little bits yeah. out to, to make her round. Um, I think it's about feeling characters as well, like what feels right, what yeah. feels natural for them, and finding them in your body and in your voice, and then trying to work out what you're bringing in um, from your experience and your toolkit of stuff. It's such a lovely process to to get a character and 
find out about them. I wouldn't say that I'm method acting or anything like that, but I really, I want to sort of find out as much about them as I, as I can. Yeah. So is that is and is that the same for a character that you've sort of created as well as something that's already sort of written that you then just take on? Yeah. So for the the comedy sort of burlesque characters, I tend to have a, a character that I mainly write from, um, who is this? Uh, <laughs> I think it could be me actually. <laughs> oh, damn it. Uh, yeah. I like there to be recognisable aspects. So, for example, when I do the the comedy character that involves ten pairs of Spanx knickers, people, ladies, will say to me, "Oh my goodness, you must have seen me getting ready to go out. That's exactly what I do. I like put on one pair of Spanx and think, mm. oh, it's not enough. I need to put another pair on." So I think um, for that com- for that character, the ca- the cabaret character. I try and I pick up. I'm a big eavesdropper. I love listening in on conversations, and I sort of pick up. Yeah, be warned <laughs> if you ever sit next to me. I will be listening <laughs> intently, and you'll find yourself in some kind of comedy monologue. Um, and for yeah, I, I would say it's yeah. I would think that when I get given a character, it's lifting them off the page and making them believable and truthful. And when I'm creating a character, that's just exactly the same, only I have a little bit more control over what words mm. they're going to say because I'm obviously writing them. Yeah. Mm. So for the, for the comedy, for the, for the burlesque routines you do, mm. is it a written process? Do you sit and write? Yeah, so what I, and... what I do is I have a notebook, which yeah. I'm clutching here actually, and if, um, I don't know, if I'm sat at a cafe and I hear two women talking about something, I think, yeah. oh, that's... That's really interesting. Dave has been having an affair <laughs> with Maureen from accounts. <laughs> and she's welcome to him because he's got athlete's foot. Brilliant. That's going in. And I then what I do is I um I try and think of a scenario. So it might be that um she's found uh, this character has found uh, her husband's behaving secretively and she's a fake she's going to try and find out what he's up to. And then I will try and feed in these little sort of bits of real life that I've heard. And yeah, it's just a case of writing. I, I always write... Um, that's the universal sign language yeah. for writing, isn't it? I always write yeah. with my hand as, a, as opposed to with my nose or any other part of my body. No, I write as opposed to type because I find that gets my... Ah. My mind seems to work better. Yeah than tapping and then when I'm getting down to the final draft then I'm obviously doing it on a keyboard because you can cut and paste yeah. and all of that but yeah I write a lot of stuff down. Do you do a lot of once you've got an, an initial idea and you've got it how much editing usually is there do you rewrite a Probably lot? Probably not or? enough. <laughs> <laughs> you would, you would know you, you would know Darren it. you look oh well, actually you would know because then um, how long have we been doing that school show? Well, how long I have I, I've been... I think my... I think for me, this is my seventh yeah, year. Yeah, so, and I've been doing that school show for uh, 17 <laughs> years. And did I or did I not give you a note just before you went on stage on... Um, on the last Yeah, the oh, last Yeah, time. I went, now, I don't know why it's taken me 17 years to work <laughs> this out, but you should go on with your school uniform over your pyjamas. Yeah. So I was like... <laughs> 17 years it's, it's taken me to work that particular years. one out. Yeah. So I think, 
I'm, yeah, you always are editing and refining. And sometimes you have to do it sort of in the moment, don't you? If you're in front of an audience, you think, oh, I don't think they're going to yeah. like that. I don't think that's good, but I think they'd like this. And you can put something in. There's an improv- uh, improvisational yeah. Yeah. element to it as well yeah. that you sort of play around with. Yeah. In my own work, not in the works of other directors and writers, <laughs> I would hasten to add. <laughs> Do you prefer, so do you prefer, I mean, you talked about Theatre Nomads and, yeah. and that style, but do you, so do you prefer that, if you're working with a, with a script yeah. and with a director, do you quite like having the director just there and I can just be here as an actor and I you tell that. me? I love that, yeah, that's really, I yeah. love that, because then I feel like my only responsibility is to be an actor. Yeah. When I'm doing my own stuff, like you have to have, as you know, you have to have like different heads on, like the, what's the producer's hat, and yeah. then the you like what does that look like, and then the logistical person, yeah. and uh, while it's all fantastic and it means you know you're in full control usually of what you're putting out there, there is a sort of just really indulgent for me <laughs> to be able to be an actor and to do something in the direct to go. Again, but better. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite hit the mark that one. Yeah. <laughs> but do you find do you find when when you're doing a project like that and you and you've got a script, do you find yourself ever have you ever found yourself sort of challenging what's on the page and do you ever feel like you wanna do that or do you go oh, no, this is no, someone else's writing no, I'll I do think what? it's really good to have a discussion. I think my um, my first instinct is always give it a go as it is written. It's been written mm. for a reason like that. You've been asked to do that, so give that a go. If it doesn't feel right, then I will say, ah, oh, like, this isn't feeling right for me for some reason. And I would hope that the director is Malleable playful. In that way, playful. Mm, yeah. Like, well, let's go. How do you think it should be? Give it a go, and then I might try something, and they might go, well, that's not working for me. And so, okay, well, let's, what is it, let's, I like the exploratory process. I don't know if I've ever worked yet with a director who's ever just said, that's what I want, to so do it that way. Obviously, I mean, I, directors obviously have a very strong vision, mm. and, but then they're not the one that's doing it, and I hope that when I direct you and and the actors that I work with, that I always say to them, oh, that's what let, that's what I've got yeah. written down, let's give it a go. But if that doesn't feel right to you, let's have a play around and see what might feel better. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you're doing it, you have to, it has to be yeah. truthful for you. Have you ever, ever found yourself, though, in a... Because I, I know I have as a director where you've got a very strong vision and you feel almost precious over protecting that. Have you always been there? No, let's, let's I think, I think I'm, oh, I don't know, you might contradict me, but I think no, I'm I would, quite not to contradict you at all. you wouldn't <laughs> no. dare. You've no. still got two well, days' work. <laughs> He's still got two days' work to do, listeners, and he hasn't been paid yet, so <laughs> I have the power in this You're still, you're still fighting yet, son. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I'm very collaborative. No. Yeah. I've just realised, I've just realised, I've, I've, again, I've, just, I've now said on podcasts, I'm not a good collaborative writer. I'm not always a good collaborative director. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm never going to work. If, you, uh, if you'd like to queue up, if you'd like to know that, uh, get behind His me. His email is... I just wondered if there was a, ever a point, even if it was on writing, if there was ever anything where you put your foot down and went, no, I want it to be, I want it to be like that because I know 
Because sometimes you know, right? If you know, you know. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. You could put that there. (laughs) But then if your actor doesn't feel comfortable doing it, they're not going to give you the effect that it needs, I think. True. But then maybe I've never come up against someone who's said Mm. that. Maybe I've been lucky and I've worked with people that have gone... All right, then I will put a leotard on. <laughs> right. That is a very funny moment, yeah. Lisa. <laughs> and I only say, I only say, because I tend to find it most with directing comedy, and that's the t- where yeah. particularly young people, if they haven't yeah. got, and I normally find it's with performers who want to over elaborate the joke. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you just hit this bit and you hit this bit yeah. and this bit, and that will get the funny. Well, I, the last show I did, and I had to let it go eventually, uh, I, the little group that I took, the Littlands, mm. they added completely out of context to this scene an ad lib where they went call Uber, and it made no sense. But they found it really funny. Yeah. And I, I, I tried once to explain, I said, yeah. that does not work. <laughs> you think it works as a joke? Doesn't work. And structurally, this is why it doesn't work. And they're just blank and they kept doing it. Because they're small kids. So, so just the point they just went... Just the joy. Fine. They found the joy yeah. and they just had there it. There were future directors in yeah. that yeah. Program, so yeah. <laughs> From the Darren right. Hill School of Direction. <laughs> where they're just putting well. their foot down. <laughs> it's your own fault. You taught them. <laughs> Do you still get nervous? Yeah. When you... Yeah. Is there any particular out of the 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 comedic burlesque? This is there one that's more? No, or is they're it both just... hideous. <laughs> they're both hideous. The yeah. moment before you step on stage, um, and I hope uh, Trudy won't mind me saying this, but we were performing a few months back, and we were like both waiting in the same area to perform because we were performing at the same time and we were both sat there going, what are we doing? Why do we do this to ourselves? Oh, I feel sick. Oh, gosh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I want to do this. Trudy said that on, on her episode as well. Isn't it funny that, you know, it's it's we all put ourselves through this yeah. on, a, on a consistent and a regular no. basis and it's one of the most anxiety-inducing things yeah. you can do Yeah. and yet we... But the, and the... And if we're not doing it, we're desperate to be yeah. doing it. Is that and, the most, and the most amazing thing is, is normally, oh, I, I don't let me speak for mm. you, but normally when I've then done it mm. and it's over, I immediately want to do, do it, it again. again. Yeah. But I know, even if I was able, you know, even if in the... straight back on, you still walk, get the bit of the... You, I would know I would probably still get that, yeah. even though my headspace has just been, yeah. I love that. It, they, yeah. they enjoyed that. They're okay out there. Yeah. They, they, they really enjoyed that, which yeah. means my enjoyment levels have gone up yeah. even further. Now I want to do it again, but I would still get that <laughs> sort of, you know, like. Yeah, I just tell myself, feeling. well, you know, you're not performing open heart surgery, you're not about to change the course of anyone's life. You're just going on stage, so just yeah. do it. Because otherwise, I can, yeah, get myself into a real tizzwas of, you know, that the sweat, the particular sweats that you get, acrid, <laughs> yeah. burning sweat. Like you haven't even moved. You just sat there and you're sweating and and the constant need to go for a the wee. 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 Yeah. The constant <laughs> need to go for a wee. What's that about? <laughs> I'm and 25. I've got the bladder of suddenly I've got the bladder of a 90 year old. Yeah. <laughs> it's just your body just going. Everyone out. Get out. Yeah. 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 Just see you later. Run. Run. Yeah. You might need to run. So. <laughs> It's that fight or flight. It's so crazy that we put ourselves through this over and over and over. And we enjoy it. We do. 
for some reason. Yeah. We enjoy doing that. We enjoy going, I'm just going to go tr- feel a little bit sick. I feel a bit sicky <laughs> just before I do my job. I'm just gonna, imagine you had to, go, had to go in and sit down in an office every day just before you sat at the table. You're like, <laughs> just before you started typing your, your, your Excel or you started stacking shelves in Tesco's. I'm fine. <laughs> but actually, I don't know, don't let me speak for you. Because I get that feeling sometimes also having to do the logistical, like the, Oh, the, the planning side yeah. of it, being that person, <coughs> like sending the emails and stuff. Yeah. Like, everything is awful. <laughs> <laughs> everything. This whole job's crap. I hate it. it. <laughs> what can we do instead? I'm going to be a postman instead. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go deliver letters to people. I should have been a baker. I used to be a baker. What would you, and can you even imagine doing something else? And would there be something else you would have done instead? You know me, you've seen this house. Uh, I would probably have gone into rescuing animals. Again, no money in that. Um, no, there is there is nothing I can think of doing. Mm. Um, there are other things that give me joy and pleasure, mm-hmm. like the animal mm. rescue stuff that I do. Um, but in terms of something that I am well, hopefully good at and that um, I can earn... Um, a wage from um, there's nothing that I would else that I would rather do I mean obviously I had my hopes of being a model dashed uh, by the lady in the home but uh, <laughs> no this for me is like this I love it. this job mm. I love it do you think yeah. that so for anyone particularly young people who might mm. might be listening and might be thinking about cruising else do you think that that is that almost I'm hesitant to use the word obsession but that this is the only thing I could do, that attitude. Do you think that's key? No, no, because you also have to be practical. So when I first thought of this, I thought, oh yeah, and then I'll play that character and I'll play the nurse in Romeo and Juliet and I'll play that and then I'll probably do some TV. And actually, um, my career has been a lot more, oh, what can I do that's still acting and that... Oh, I know, I could make some scores drama. Mm. Um, oh, I could do some corporate role play. I could do some corporate training. Ah, I could do some cabaret. So I think what you have to do is think practically, like have that dream, but think... So when I teach, I teach sometimes at um, post-A-level um, age, I always say to them, you know, don't give up on your dream just because you don't get the call from the National Theatre. Mm. Think, how can I make the skills that I have pay? And there will generally be a way that you can do it, somehow. And I think with the sort of the way that businesses are embracing the arts and uh, there's a lot of community-led art projects now and cross-art form projects mm. where, you know, you can work with an artist. Uh, I've just done a great project up at a fort in Dover where we worked with there was me as the actor, there was a visual artist, there was a, a sculptor, a mosaic maker, and we brought the place to life using our skills with kids. So there are always there are avenues that you can explore. Um, also, I think you have to let go of preconceptions of like, well, I want to earn this much. And uh, if you're willing to take a little risk that you might have to do some very good budgeting and there might be really lean months... And that you maybe won't have the latest skies. I mean, look at my house. 
don't even have a TV. Like, you know, you, you there yeah. are some sacrifices you might have to make. Yeah. Um, you know, like you you might not be able to go to the cinema every week, every new release that comes out. But if what you are doing brings you such happiness, then that to me is worth it. Because I get to go out every day and do something that I really love. As I was going to lie and say there's never a day I get up and think I don't want to go to work, but I'm going to break that tomorrow morning when we're, <laughs> when we're heading to Dartford. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. so anyone in, in Dartford is listening, we do love you, We Darth. do. We it's do just love you. the early, it's early, early, early start that we have to get there. Yeah. That's the problem. That's it the, is, yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. Oh. It's not the people in trunk suits, no. Unless you have oh, another question, I was about to this say, this is my lovely final place question to, to leave. What kind of stuff do you like going to as a punter? Mm. Mm. I love. If you had to put on a show for Lisa yeah. Payne. Oh, well, I love seeing actors work really bloody hard so I love it when you go to see a piece of theatre where the actors are doing everything they're yeah. moving set around to create uh, <coughs> like um, I saw a great piece at the Theatre Royal uh, it was um, it was a uh, was it an Agatha Christie or something yeah, I think it was an Agatha Christie Death on the Nile something like that which I was a bit hesitant about going to because mm. I thought well I don't know if that's my thing but the actors were moving suitcases which became, yeah. you know, the the crocodile, and they they were singing. They were doing lighting effects by holding torches under their chins. I love oh, that sort yeah. of where the actors are doing absolutely everything. They're running around like blue ass flies. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that, and I love things that make me laugh as well. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> now you can bring it to That's, the side. <laughs> that's absolutely fine. I was going to say that was maybe a lovely place to end it, but I think that's equally as, uh, uh, as lovely. So if anyone really wants to sell at least one ticket, that's how, uh, yeah. that's how you uh, yeah. that's how you get Lisa's money. And actually mm. our money. Come our on. money. Yeah. Our <laughs> money. So you're at least going to sell three. Mm. Oh, but um, I think that's probably a, a, a really good place to, to end yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, as always, thank you ever so much for listening to this episode of the Fools Folly Podcast. As always, we have been your fools, Connor Maud. Darren Hill. Bye, friends. Bye. Are you recording? Good. Well, oh yeah. good. <laughs> that was it. Connor's oh. dying. Connor, I'm so dying. I'll, I'll do this. I'm pretty um, sure. Hang on, just before, but very quickly before you outro, I'm pretty sure I have been sick for more episodes of the podcast than I've been well. Wow. Because I'm pretty sure the first two or three <laughs> for the first two or three episodes, I'm pretty sure I had a cold then as well. Well, maybe it's a jinx. Maybe it's a maybe. Maybe that's what it maybe is. It's a jinx. So stressful. It's a stressful. Oh, it's stress, very stressful. It's a stressful thing. Sitting yeah. down and talking to, to people. people. God, it's so yeah. hard. You know, and this one we had cake. We did have cake. We did have cake and coffee and Co- biscuit tea. And biscuit, biscuit tea, <laughs> biscuit tea, and there was lots of chat about big pants. There was lots of chat about big pants. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yes. Yeah, so thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Falls Folly Podcast, and thank you so much again to the wonderful Lisa Payne, who was just so generous with her yeah. time, her answers, uh, and her house. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just great. As always, links f- to everything will be in the description. You'll be able to find Lisa, you'll be able to find us, uh, and ask us questions. Ask us questions you want to ask the next guest, whoever that is, to be announced. Uh, as always, that we have been your fools, Connor Maud. Darren Hill. Bye, friends. Bye.